0: Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in productivity, professional development, in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and happy to give you ideas that can elevate your leadership role in your current or perhaps your future nonprofit organization. Thanks for listening and, as always, for your feedback. In fact, if you'll do me a favor, go to the show notes for this episode or to our website. Take our podcast survey. It's a quick five-minute exercise, but it'll help us plan ahead. Uh, We're proud of the episodes we've been able to put together in the last 12 months, and we're looking forward to doing even better in 2021. We will certainly continue to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit leaders who really are on the cutting edge in our sector. Well, I had a great conversation this week with Jenny Hargrove, who is a fantastic resource to the nonprofit community, and it starts with her wonderful podcast called Nonprofit Jenny, that's Jenny, J-E-N-N-I, as well as her website by the same name, and among her areas of expertise are marketing and communications for our nonprofit sector, but she's also had particular experience uh, of late in the virtual fundraising event space. And let's face it, we're all doing virtual fundraising events, so this is highly relevant. And I bet you've got a fundraising event of a virtual nature on your nonprofit's calendar right now. Well, Jenny's the perfect person to talk to, and she has outlined some really practical takeaways that'll help us get our arms around putting together an effective uh, virtual fundraising event. She's talked about, and we will talk about four ways in particular, that how you can make your event stand out from others, uh, given the volume of virtual events that are going on right now. How do you design a program that frankly doesn't scare people away? Um, And how do you communicate and market your event in a way that will indeed drive traffic to the event and help elevate your brand? Well, Jenny and I cover all this and much more, so don't forget to check out the show notes. This is episode number 74. Just go to the podcast or the news page at patentmcdowell.com, and you'll find all of the resources from this episode, as well as more information on Jenny and the great work she's doing through her nonprofit Jenny website and podcast. Like Jenny, we're putting together lots of resources on our website as well, so don't forget to check it out. It's at PattonMcDowell.com. Let us help you and your nonprofit with strategy, fundraising, or perhaps we can help you personally on your journey to nonprofit leadership through coaching, training, or one of our mastermind programs. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Jenny Hargrove. Jenny, thank you for joining me on the path.
1: Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me, Patton.
0: Well, excited is the word I would use as well. Uh, I'm delighted to have you on our podcast. You have been such a resource to the nonprofit community, Jenny, through your consulting, all the resources you provide, and of course, the wonderful podcast known as Nonprofit Jenny, which is the first time I heard your voice and began to (laughs) learn more about... uh, all that you're doing. So before we talk about our headline topic, which of course is, I think, on the minds of so many nonprofits, and my teaser is around virtual events, you know, that that dilemma in some cases for nonprofit leaders, what do we do with our event? And you've got some great ideas on that. But before we go there, how did you become nonprofit, Jenny?
1: Yeah, um, well, so the beginning of that story is kind of boring. Um, I have a a research background. I'm just a really huge numbers nerd. And so I went to school for marketing research and, um, and, and started in that world. And then I, um, I, I have always had a passion for working with nonprofits. So I've always done pro bono work on the side for nonprofit organizations. Um, and just kind of helped advise them on their marketing strategy and their fundraising strategies um, just through my experience working with them and supporting boards and marketing committees and stuff. And, uh, and then I ended up working in corporate philanthropy. I was working for a national corporation and helping to distribute funds to different nonprofits, specifically through cause marketing campaigns. Right. And something that made me really disappointed in that job was there would be lots of really excited, hungry, eager nonprofit leaders who would come to me looking for support from this corporation. And I would have to turn them down and not be able to work with them because they their organization, just as, as it was, was not sustainable. And so I would start doing um, pro bono consulting for them on the side uh, so that I wouldn't just tell them like... Well, you know, I can't help you. You know, you're not in a good place right now. Yeah. And that was super fulfilling to be able to get them on the path to where I could say yes to them in the future in a corporate setting to support their organizations. Um, but then some nonprofits, I realized they weren't even at a place where consulting made sense because consulting's a big commitment. Like you have to commit to talking to someone several hours a week and doing a lot of work to improve your strategy. Right. And, um, I'm a podcast nerd. And at the time that I started my podcast three or four years ago, um, there were only a few nonprofit podcasts out there. And most of them were hosted by nonprofit executive directors who sort of just put out an episode whenever they had extra time.
0: Right. Which
1: I'm sure you know is not very often.
0: Yeah, not consistent, Um, that's for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I wanted to put out a podcast um, that not only was consistent like that, um, like you mentioned, but also I, wa- I really wanted to highlight nonprofit uh, professionals, the employees of nonprofits themselves, because something I found as a consultant is that a lot of nonprofit leaders um, sometimes they hear what I'm saying and they're like, okay, but you don't know what I'm actually going through because you're just a consultant. You're not an employee. You don't do this full time. So yeah. So the goal of my podcast is to highlight nonprofit leaders who, who are doing that work, you know, 40 hours a week. I, I obviously I'll bring on consultants who are my friends who I do work with as well. But, um, but yeah, so it's my, my goal is to just highlight those different experiences. Um, and, and then um, when I decided to become a consultant full time, one of my clients asked me, like, okay, well, do you have a company name? Like, how can I share your information with someone? and i was like yeah i'm nonprofit jenny
0: <laughs> it just um, came to you it almost just literally came just to came me, to you okay
1: this came to me and i called my friend who's a web designer and i was like hey listen i just told someone my company's name it's nonprofit jenny so i need to buy nonprofitjenny.com <laughs> exactly. and i need you to make a website for me
0: <laughs> inspiration um, in the moment though for sure yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so that's how I started my company and and my show, and it's been really fun.
0: Well, I'm delighted to lift it up, and as you well know, I will use our show notes to lift up uh, Nonprofit Jenny, the podcast, and other resources we'll discuss. And How many episodes now are you into this journey of podcasting?
1: Oh my gosh, it's up in the 80s somewhere. I'm trying to plan what to do for, yeah, I'm trying to plan what to do for 100, yeah.
0: Right, right, right. We'll, well, we'll just kind of see. It is a wonderful resource. And that's why I'm, again, excited to have you because I, I think you are so focused on, you know, action-oriented uh, episodes and, and really takeaways because I think that's what so many both of our listeners want. Yes. I mean, the stories are good, right, from leaders who have been there sure. and done that. But uh, I know we both are going to try to bring... Uh, Things that they can use in their uh, actual work. Um, One other question, however, before we get into those action oriented items, I'm asking all my guests, Jenny, as you probably are in conversation, how are you managing in this strange virtual world and anything in particular you found to stay productive?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, so one thing I think a lot of, I know I'm not alone in this, is that I experience screen fatigue yep. Um, now that we're completely remote uh, working through COVID. And so I really try to do the things I can to minimize how much time I'm in email specifically. Like, right zoom meetings I love I love having that connection with people but email just feels so flat and it's not fun for me so I've done two things to kind of cut down the time I spend in email the first is I signed up for a calendly account and that's c-a-l-e-n-d-l-y like calendar but calendly right and um Yeah, and that way when people want to schedule a call with me, like I said, I love the calls, then I can just send them to this Calendly link, and they can literally put their call on my calendar, and um, it's integrated with Zoom, so that call automatically gets scheduled with my Zoom, and it creates a Zoom room and sends the Zoom information to my call guest. So you don't Um,
0: have nine emails back and forth just to get it scheduled. Is that right? Yes, I I can literally say
1: yeah like just pick your time and then that's all that we need right um and then the second one this one's kind of old school patent it's it's probably it's 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 probably silly for some people to hear this but <laughs> it's
0: okay that's okay
1: <laughs> i noticed i send a lot of the of the same emails like emails that just are exactly the same except i change someone's name and organization and sure. like maybe add add a couple details and i realized that was taking so much time because even though the emails said the exact same thing i would take like 20 minutes to frame that email and put it together right so now for certain things, like I have people who email me all the time who want to come and be a guest on my podcast, or I have people all the time who ask me questions about my courses on my website. And so I have a Google doc where I just have these standard answers typed up and I'll copy and paste it into the email. And then I'll add like a couple sentences at the beginning or end to make it more personal.
0: Love but that. like,
1: yeah, but like the meat of the email is ex- is exactly the same. Like I'm just giving the same information. So, yeah.
0: I think that's fantastic. And and I, I'm, you know, kicking myself for how much time I spend the same thing uh, responding to similar questions. It's not that you don't want to be authentic and personalized, but
1: right, right.
0: you're still providing largely the same bulk of information, aren't you?
1: Yes. Yeah. And so that's why, like I said, I'll, I'll add details to the beginning and end of the, of that bulk content, but like an explanation of how to download a course on my website or how to, um, apply to be a guest on my show or something. That's the same Standard. information for every yeah. single person. Yeah.
0: Great suggestions. And I know our listeners can benefit from that or some variation of both of those things, which can be certainly time consuming efforts. Um, uh, Well, let's jump into it, Jenny. Um, You talked about a lot of topics on your podcast and one that I'm excited to talk about today. And of course, the title of this episode, Four Ways to Make Virtual Fundraisers More Engaging. Um, I'm struck by a comment you made before we started recording about a lot of nonprofit leaders perhaps are making the mistake of simply converting what was a live special event into a virtual version. And perhaps you could... maybe start with that. Is that a mistake you're seeing, frankly, being made?
1: Oh my gosh, all the time, Patton. And uh, honestly, it gets, it gets painful after a while to watch people, specifically it's galas, like, like these big, you may not call it a gala, but this fancy event where you're renting out a hotel and you've got hors d'oeuvres walking around and like an, an open bar. And, um, and then you sit down for like an hour and a half, two hour program. Um, a lot of nonprofits are just trying to use that same exact program and put it online. And I think they don't realize that there's a huge difference between being in a room with these like friendly people. You're, you're all dressed up. You've, Frankly, you're like, you've had a, you've had a glass of wine or two, (laughs) so you're like feeling good. You're having delicious food. You're chatting it up. And, and then, you know, you're sitting at a dinner table and, and in between things that are happening, like as people are exiting the stage and coming on the stage, you can chat with the people next to you and you can butter your bread and take another bite. But when people are at home, all of those transitions seem so much longer. And honestly, the type of storytelling that you can do after someone's had two glasses of wine and some good conversation and their belly is full of of delicious dinner. is very different than the type of story you can tell through a a live streaming event um, or even a recorded event on YouTube because people just don't have the attention span. Great point. Yeah. And so one thing that I recommend to, to nonprofit leaders, I, I, as the end of year has been coming up, I've been helping out with a lot of virtual events. And the biggest thing that I tell these nonprofit leaders is like, you've got to make this shorter. I mean, like an hour tops for your virtual event, That that is the absolute maximum. And that's only if you actually have an hour's worth of engaging content. You have to think about what 's going to be engaging as people have kids that they 're feeding dinner to as they have pets running around as they 've got laundry and the and the washer that just you know the timer just went off like what is going to keep them engaged when they have all these distractions that they don 't have in a hotel ballroom you know That's exactly
0: right, and there again do not bring forth the agenda from last year 's gala. And simply put it online uh, because no one, no one's going to sit at their computer for two and a half hours like they might have at that, uh, you know, big event previously. So one hour you're saying, Jenny, is really as far as you would go.
1: Yes, but honestly, if you can get that down to half an hour or 35 minutes, that is your sweet spot. I mean, especially if you don't have any interactive part of your event.
0: Right. Think
1: about a TV show. Like, if you're watching the show Friends or, like, a Seinfeld rerun, those episodes are, like, 20 to 22 minutes. That's okay? right. Like, your, your virtual event, is is unless it's as funny as Friends or Seinfeld, <laughs> it, it's not <laughs> – It's not going to be engaging for for a full hour. Um, So those events that are an hour, those should be interactive. So for example, I've seen a lot of nonprofits do these less formal events on Zoom where they take advantage of Zoom breakout rooms. And if you've never used a Zoom breakout room, what that means is um, it's essentially like if you go to a conference and you have this big keynote speech, and then you all kind of go into your separate seminar rooms to see the seminar you want to see, with Zoom, you can do that virtually, where you can assign people to these breakout rooms and have them go into small groups where they can have small group discussions or, um, or maybe like play a game of trivia or something like that, where it's interactive, so nice. that they're actually doing something with you during that hour. So if you don't have some,
0: I'm sorry to interrupt you, but like predetermine oh, sh- some of these options, and then people know coming in what they might get to choose.
1: Yeah, I've seen it done very differently with different nonprofits. Um there like there really are no rules. There are best practices, but there aren't rules. Right. So right. like um one nonprofit I'm working with right now that I'm so excited about, um, they're doing a panel that they're they're actually partnering with three different nonprofits that have similar missions. They're all health related, but they, they're very different. Like one works with breast cancer survivors, one works with leukemia and lymphoma, and one works in hospice care. So they're all very different. And they're doing a panel about how young professionals can be engaged in nonprofits during this time where we're all isolated.
0: Interesting. Um,
1: And then they're going to send people to random breakout rooms to just kind of talk amongst themselves with specific nonprofit leaders. But, um, but you can do pre-assigned things ahead of time. So, for example, I also have hosted a trivia night where you sign up with a team and then beforehand you can program Zoom to to put the people who have signed up in a trivia team into the same breakout room. Interesting, so that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you can you – can, there's so many different options. The thing is, though, you just have to remember you, that – An online event has to be much more engaging and quick and scripted than an in-person event where you've got wine and milling about and a silent auction you can go check on during the program and things like that, you know.
0: Makes total sense. And again, we've got to resist though that historical temptation of, well, but Jenny, my executive director speaks, our board chair speaks, our campaign committee chair speaks.
1: Oh my God. And I'm
0: guessing that's what you mean, right? These Boring, <laughs> frankly, repetitive yeah. speech after speech after speech.
1: Yeah, and that's uh, and honestly, I've done so many focus groups after those galas, patent and I, even with in-person events, I try so hard to get nonprofit leaders to move away from that traditional model. Good, because like the executive director, the board chair those are those are really great people like they're really great they're really awesome they're dedicating so much of this time their time to this great cause and they're they're not doing it for the money let's be honest you know right right um but they're they're also their story is is not nearly as impactful and interesting as as somebody who people know like most of the time an executive director people don't they're, they're not famous they're not like a celebrity that you Like, you know, you see tagged on Instagram all the time Exactly, Um, because they're doing nitty gritty work. Like they're not supposed to be doing glamorous stuff and they're not. And so people don't know them automatically. They're not a big draw. Um, But, but also even, even their personal story is not nearly as impactful as a client of your organization. And um, that's actually something I wanted to make sure to bring up is we've seen in, studies about fundraising time and time again, that the most impactful thing that makes people give more money more consistently is a story from someone who has personally been impacted by your
0: mission. Got it.
1: Although your board chair and your executive director, they feel passionate about your mission. Their story probably is not nearly as powerful as someone whose life was literally changed or saved because of your mission, you know? So Absolutely. if I can tell you like my life was saved by this mission or you know I, I my mental health was so bad and this this mission took me out of a really dark spot and here's what I'm doing to be constructive in society now and then I invite you to give and support other people like me that's so much more impactful than hearing a board chair who likely is you know a C level executive at a not a, a big corporation, corporation. yeah yeah, and and they just don't experience that kind of same hardship, you know?
0: Makes perfect sense, Jenny. And, and so obviously, I guess your advice would apply if and when we're back to live events. But in this virtual world, you would also include either live or perhaps taped testimonials, as you just described?
1: Yes, I would. Um, but again, Pat and I've seen this done really well and I've seen it done really poorly.
0: Yeah, Tell Um, me the difference there.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, so a lot of nonprofit leaders, they just get so caught up in their head and they, they get so detail oriented and they know that they need to be entertaining. So I, I literally watched an event where like. Oh my gosh, where they were, they had choreographed clients to be like dancing in their virtual event video while they told their story Uh. of this like food pantry. And I'm like, Oh my God, you guys, like these people's lives were changed. Like they, they, they were able to get food and their family was able to survive during this virus when they got sick because of your food pantry. You don't need to add frills to that. Like that's a powerful story.
0: I groaned out loud when I heard that because, (laughs) but you think that's just the the predisposition for entertainment value was what maybe drove them to that? Maybe poor to soon. Right.
1: And yes, you need to. I think the difference is I, I'm glad you said that word, entertainment. There's a difference between trying to be entertaining and trying to be engaging. Right. Because a nonprofit is not meant to be entertaining, unless it's like a theater company or, or an arts company or something like that. Like, right. your goal right. is not entertainment. Your goal is to engage people in a life changing mission that they are already passionate about. Like, people don't just suddenly become passionate about something because you're like, oh, you know, cancer matters. People aren't like, oh my God, cancer does matter. I should, like, my life has changed, you know? Exactly. They, they aren't going to, their life isn't going to be changed by you saying your mission. Um, but it they could be really deeply impacted and and feel really engaged in that mission if they hear a personal story about how cancer has impacted one of your clients' lives. And that doesn't need to be entertaining, it shouldn't be. It should be engaging. It should make people care and make people want to be part of it. But your goal should not be, you know, to to make your mission kitschy and, you know, tacky. Like don't 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 so make true. your. Yeah, th- like don't turn it into a, a game unless you're hosting like a trivia night or something. But <laughs> <You're right>. that's <laughs> that's a
0: different that's story. That's not but... about
1: your mission. That's about the activity that brings people in, so that at some point that night you can tell the story of your mission.
0: Yeah, but you know what? What I'm struck by your earlier advice, Jenny. I think if if we have that um, previous history of our events are 90 minutes or two hours, we're probably filling time with these less than uh, attractive entertainment segments and your point is just forget that tighten it overall and stick to the fundamental mission and kind of testimonial about the mission activity too
1: yes yes you yes you do need to be engaging even if it's just like Um, just having a moment, asking people to take a moment and reflect upon a question that's been asked. Or maybe you say like, you know, have you ever been in this situation? Share a thumbs up in the chat if you have or something like that. Or um, guess how many people we serve with our food pantry. Uh, Like type your answer in the chat, something like that. You can keep people engaged in that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And it doesn't
1: even have to be called a trivia event, just a way to like, make sure, you know, check in and let people know that, you know, that they're there. Um, but, but yeah, you, you, you definitely need to keep it tight. I, I think a lot of nonprofit leaders think like, well, we need to put just tons of effort into this because people expect a 90 minute event. Cause that's what we've always done. And I'm like, no, your goal is not to have a 90-minute event. Your goal is to inspire people to, to give and to support your mission so that you can keep doing what you do. And if that takes 25 minutes, then let it take 25 minutes. Don't, don't try to make it 90 minutes.
0: That's such a good point. And, and I suppose you can gain value, of course, but recording, uh, do you recommend that, that folks record this entire event and therefore it has an evergreen property, if you will, or how, how exclusive do you need the live portion of this event to be?
1: Yeah. Well, um, interesting question, Pouton. Honestly, um, for listeners who have never hosted any sort of online event before, I, I actually don't recommend either of those options. I okay, don't re- recommend recording, or streaming live, I recommend getting your feet wet with something easy, like um, like maybe just using the Giving Tuesday hashtag and encouraging people to give on Giving Tuesday through social media, or asking people to host a Facebook fundraising page for you for their birthday. Test something online so that you know what it takes. Great a lot point. of nonprofit leaders think that they can just put out a social media post and say, like, come to this event or give to our fundraiser for Giving Tuesday. And then magically the donations will start flowing in. And and honestly, virtual events are very similar to in-person events in that it takes a lot of work to get people to engage. It, right. It's not it, It's not a magic formula. And so… Um, so you, you have to do just as much reaching out to people one-on-one, checking in, reminding them about your event date, sending them several emails so they have lots of chances if they missed your last ones, um, sending out a postcard, so it's something that stands out from all their bills and, you know, kind of spam advertisement mail. Right. Um, your peer-to-peer fundraising, where you're asking your your key supporters to reach out to their friends and family and invite them to this event. It takes a lot of work. And if you've never done that before in a, a small sense, I would start with something like a Facebook fundraiser or start with hosting an online auction. There's lots of free uh, charity auction sites where you can just do an auction and just promote that. And then later, once you feel like you get the hang of social media and using these different online tools, then you can think about whether it's, it's better to stream a live event or have a recorded event.
0: Gotcha. Great advice. And so if, if I'm a nonprofit leader feeling the pressure that I've got to replicate a fairly sophisticated live event, you know, a year ago, and your point is be careful right that you're trying to replicate a complex live event into a complex virtual event is where people could really maybe get in trouble.
1: Yeah and and even when you do feel comfortable doing virtual events I also recommend having someone on hand whose specialty is working with this type of technology. So like for instance when I'm helping people plan their events I'm really good at planning events. I'm really good at planning fundraisers and planning the marketing strategy, but IT stuff is not my area of specialty. (laughs) So I have an IT vendor who I bring in to every single event I do with a nonprofit just so he can help us do a a test run beforehand, go through every single step to, to know exactly what everyone needs to do at all times. And then have him on hand to just kind of, honestly, he just hangs out during the event in case something goes wrong. Um, because, you know, it's, it's that law that, of like that anything of that mind, can go wrong will go wrong. Yeah.
0: And peace of mind is worth every penny of having someone like that on standby, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, the, the bottom line question, Jenny, that I know you have helped others wrestle with is, you know, raising the money, making the ask. I wonder if... You have comments on, you know, is that still done as much before the event? Again, assuming an organization is ready to host a virtual event. Sure. Um, talk about, though, the fundraising element, which, again, I know is probably the pressure a lot of our nonprofit friends are feeling in putting on any kind of event.
1: Yeah, yeah, Pat and there are so many opinions about this floating around. Right.
0: right.
1: <laughs> and uh, there's not a one-size-fits-all option. I've heard some people tell me like that they don't they don't charge anything for event tickets for virtual events because their goal is to get as many eyeballs on the video as possible okay. so they can make an appeal and start a relationship with people and they're not, you know, cutting out a potential audience who can't afford a ticket of a hundred dollars or more um i think that's great i've heard other nonprofit leaders say that for them they don't care how many people attend they just care how much money they make on right. that night right personally i do not like that second strategy and the reason is because one of the great things about virtual events is that you can attract audiences who may never have been able to come to your in-person event either because they couldn't make the time and date or, um, because they, they, they had a financial reason that they couldn't pay $500 to get into your gala. Right. But that doesn't mean that those people can't be very impactful for your mission. Um, the, the other thing, too, is that the, those people, I always remind nonprofit leaders that they shouldn't judge a donor based on their first gift because the first gift is almost always the smallest gift that you right. will get from someone. They're sort of testing the waters to see if they can trust you to steward their money well. And so... Personally, I don't like the idea of blocking people out who can't pay a hundred dollars or more for a ticket, but that's up to, up to you. One thing that is universal is you do need to do the fundraising before the event, or at least get started with it before the event. Good point. Um, one of the things that you, that can make or break your in-person event is whether you can get corporate sponsors to sponsor your event, because A lot of times the ticket price just covers the cost of food. Um, And so then you're depending on people to give more when they get to the event after they've already paid $200 for a ticket. Um, Whereas with corporate sponsorships, you know you can count on that money. It's almost all
0: profit. Right.
1: Same thing with virtual events. Um, And the other thing is when you can raise money beforehand, that can make your appeal during the virtual event much more impactful. So if I can get my sponsors to give me a $20 or $20,000 matching fund sure. then I can tell people in the event like we really need to raise $20,000 tonight so that we can get this matching fund. And And it adds a sense of urgency and it also makes people feel like their gift is, is double what it really is. So like, if I can only afford to give a hundred dollars, I know that that actually means $200. Great point. Yeah. But all that groundwork has to be laid before the event and you can't just expect it to roll in. Like it doesn't roll in When you have a regular live in-person event, it's not going to roll in suddenly when you have a virtual event. So you still have to do that relationship building. You have to have those conversations with sponsors to find out what's important to them and make sure that you give that to them and make them feel thanked. Um, and, And you also have to personally ask people to come to your event and personally ask them to get their family and friends to come as well.
0: It can't just be a passive posting on social media and expecting people to respond, right?
1: I mean, that might work if you've got like a million followers. (laughs) Um,
0: Most organizations, however, do not, do they?
1: Right. Uh, one other thing I want to say I know we're running out of time, Patton, but one thing I want to make sure a, a lot of nonprofit leaders have no idea about this. Um, right, right. Social media, uh, those platforms, Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, those platforms are for profit companies. They're not there as a public service. Right. And so they purposefully make it so that anytime you post something, only about 10 to 12% of the people who follow you will. Ever see that post yeah, in their feed? Amazing.
0: Amazing. Yep.
1: Yeah. And so, however many followers you have, think about what 10% of that is. That's about the maximum number of people who will see your post unless you put a paid ad behind it. So, um, so you, you really have to remember that social media, while it's important to have a presence and engage people that way, it's not reliable in making sure that that message gets to every single person who follows you every time you post.
0: Such a good point. And you're right. I think sometimes we get enamored with our total follower numbers and think that that is indeed the multiplier effect. But your point is important. Only 10% may be seeing it. And, um well worth remembering. Um,
1: Yeah. And there's, there's like a whole complicated algorithm too. So like 10% is for a post that has a really good photo that doesn't have any text in it, that has a really good story and a really good call to action and just the right hashtags, you know? So
0: (laughs) that's a complicated um, formula though, Jenny, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. Uh, That's, that's exactly your point. Right. And that, Well, I I guess, and this is fantastic on many levels, and I want to, it bears repeating the four elements that we've talked about. And thank you. You've wandered down other paths that I've dragged you down in terms of topics here. But (laughs) number one, we need to stand out amongst the competition. Do not do your same format or do frankly what everybody else is doing. Number two, we need to simplify and streamline. Again, you suggest within an hour, if not less to be impactful and effective yeah. in a virtual setting. Really think through the agenda. I, I'm, I'm struck by that point again. We just can't kind of roll out the same agenda we've had in the past. And I have a question about the fourth one. Market your event appropriately. And I'm yeah. again, I, I picked out your point there of you just can't kind of do a, a, a quick fix social media and expect people to show up without some real effort. And I would think, Jenny, that would apply to your corporate sponsors. And I was going to ask you about that. Um, if you're going to ask them to put the same kind of sponsorship dollars behind it, I guess you've got to assure them that you're marketing appropriately, right? In other words, how do you make the case to corporate sponsors? And I wonder if you've seen that already that like, well, in a live event, we feel like we're getting our money's worth because of the banners and all this stuff that you do in sure. the program. How do you perhaps address those sponsors if, if that question were to come up?
1: Yeah, and that's part of what I said about laying the groundwork before your event. And right. so I would think about I, – I, and this this is really tricky. There's not like a, a, a mathematical formula for this. But I would think about, okay, how much time do I have to ask my board and ask my key volunteers, my major donors, to get people to come to this event? How many people do I think I can reasonably expect each of those people to bring to the event? And then what kind of budget do I have to advertise this event? Do I have the budget to send a mailer to every single donor who's ever donated? What percentage of those people do I think will attend? Um, what what uh, percentage do I think will attend um, if I send an email blast a few times? Yep, good
0: point. So you, yep.
1: and, and so that answer is different for every single nonprofit organization. But, but I need to do my honestly, homework, though,
0: right? Or I need to at least understand my numbers in that sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and I do want to say quickly, I it, if any of your listeners want to talk to me about Therabin, I, I, I offer free half-hour calls for every nonprofit. So I would be happy to talk about, like, your specific circumstances.
0: Love that, Jenny. Thank you. And we will absolutely yeah. include that. And I hope we don't overload your Calendly with uh, requests <laughs> because that is so generous of you and Wow, that's a wonderful way to spend 30 minutes if they could talk to you about, obviously, the nuances of every special event or virtual event. That's what you're willing
1: yeah. to talk about, right? Yes. Well, but so one thing that I've seen with my uh, clients that I've been working with who have moved online is that, honestly, it has not really been an issue for them to get corporate sponsors to give at the same level as long as those corporate sponsors can afford to do so. Gotcha. Because The way that you approach that ask is very important. I would not recommend approaching it by saying, here's how many eyeballs we can get, here's how many like potential clients you might be able to get from this event, because then it turns the the relationship just into a transactional relationship.
0: exactly right.
1: But if you go to a corporate executive and you say like, wow, thank you so much for all the support you gave us last year, here's how much you gave, and here's the impact that that had. This year, we really hope we can count on you to give at least at that same level. Here are all the things we'll do to thank you and show our appreciation. But this year has been way harder than last year for us because just the economy, like they know they're they're in the business world. They know. Exactly right. And so if they have the capacity to give at that same level, they will. If they don't, there are more creative things you can do to ask them for their support. So- Maybe you ask them to, uh, to, to help invite people to your event um, through their email newsletter and their social media um, so that they can leverage their audience. Or maybe you, um, you have smaller sponsorship levels and you, you, you frame it differently um, so that they still feel comfortable giving a gift. But if they have the capacity and if you approach them in a relational way, they will give at the same level that they always have.
0: Yeah, it's a great point, because you're appealing both to their marketing sense, but also to their community engagement sense, yeah. I would, right? And and you're right, they've supported you before, they like your cause, give them a chance to, to do it again.
1: Absolutely.
0: Jenny, great advice, up and down the list of uh, really more than four items on, on your <laughs> list. Is there anything else you would offer to uh, a nonprofit leader contemplating this virtual kind of environment we're in, particularly as it relates to their event?
1: Yeah, I would just remind you this: this event is not the end all be all for your organization. When right. you have your first virtual event, if it doesn't go exactly how you planned, even if you don't get anywhere near what your goal is, that that's not a failure. Like you can still continue to fundraise after that event. There, there's nothing saying that you can't. And now you know something I was just try to glean what you can from that experience. Like, okay, this type of communication didn't work. So what are different types we can use in the future? Um, this, and, and I would also say you want to keep your message simple, but frequent, like I mentioned before, it doesn't take much to inspire people if you just tell them what you do, because right. what you do is inspirational. So just tell them what you do and invite them into this event. Um, but you do have to tell them several times to, to, to get them to even know that you've asked them to come. Um, one of my favorite uh, authors and organizational psychologists is this guy named Adam Grant. Oh,
0: yeah. And
1: he found through his research through empirical studies, which means he's looked through hundreds of other studies about this. You have to tell someone your message between 10 to 20 times before they even realize that they've seen or heard the message. Wow. So that's not even them RSVPing for your event. That's them even knowing that you're having an event. They need to see that 10 to 20 times. So keep your message simple and and repeat it often so that people have the chance to even have it sink in.
0: I guess that speaks, Jenny, to the runway then up to the event, given the frequency or the repetition of the message. You really need to start that well in advance, obviously, of the event itself.
1: For sure. Yeah.
0: Um, Fantastic. Um, And everything you shared, I know, will uh, give our listeners something to think about as they're pondering in the near term or maybe longer down the road uh, events. But I like your point, too, that, frankly, we shouldn't be too focused on events in the larger scheme of our outreach, our marketing and our development efforts. It's part of, uh, I guess, the larger picture. So thank you, Jenny, for that. Um, I do have to request one, a parting gift from you. Uh, Maybe speaking of good authors, Adam Grant has come up before, but maybe you could share a book that's been meaningful to you or one you might recommend in this kind of professional development space.
1: Yeah, well, so actually the book I would recommend is this book called Originals by Adam Grant. Okay,
0: good. And the
1: reason yeah, the reason I I recommend that is a lot of nonprofit leaders feel like they're being forced to try all of these new things for the very first time and the book originals really talks about how you can be creative and try new things that are actually going to generate revenue so like there are some really terrible creative ideas you know um, but there are right. also some creative ideas that that generate a lot of revenue for your nonprofit and so that book is, is super good uh, I've quoted all the time with my clients now because he he like I said I'm a research nerd he's a research nerd and he puts so much research and and compiles it to let you know how to be creative, but also generate revenue with that creativity.
0: Love that, Jenny. Uh, happy to uh, it reinforce that recommendation. It is a book on the shelf behind me, and I'm delighted to lift oh, it up good. as part of your episode. And also, of course, I'm going to lift up how folks can uh, connect with you. Um, Of course, we're going to lift up Nonprofit Jenny, the podcast, but maybe tell us and tell our listeners how they might uh, best connect with you.
1: Yeah, like I said, I love to, I love to hop on calls with people, get to know people and hear your mission. You can go to nonprofitjenny.com slash contact to set up a free call with me or just shoot me a quick email. I know some people aren't into calls and they just want <laughs> right. to email back and forth. Um, and just remember, my name is spelled a little weird. So it's J-E-N-N-I. So nonprofitjenny.com slash contact.
0: Delighted to lift it up with the correct spelling for sure in our show notes, <laughs> and and I hope people will indeed take advantage of the wonderful resources, including your podcast, but much more if you go to your website, Jenny. I've seen it; it's great. And thank you again for joining me on the path. Yeah,
1: thank you so much, Patton.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jenny as much as I did, and came away with some practical ideas. That can help you plan your next virtual fundraising event or maybe reevaluate the one you have in mind right now. Uh, don't forget the show notes are available on our website, PattonMcDowell.com, where you can find more about Jenny, the resources she offers. And in fact, you can even schedule a free 30-minute call with her to discuss your next event and perhaps ways she can help you do it even better. Please consider sharing this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe by going to the podcast page at com, and you'll see links to all of the primary podcast platforms. Don't miss out on any of these weekly episodes, and they come out every Thursday morning, as well as bonus features and episodes that come out once a month. Thanks for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now, and keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.